0: I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow
1: Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. I'm your
0: host, Ari Gronich. With me today, I have Chase Russell. I am not going to do my normal spectacular introduction of chase because he's you know just you just can't do it with this guy i mean from wars and combat to owning his own plane company at 25 i mean you can't explain the the path that this young man is on to shift and change the world so chase why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of one of the, the main things that makes you who you are and what and do what you are doing and why.
1: Yeah so uh I'm Chase Russell and I, I'm I'm an Air Force veteran. I did two tours in Afghanistan and I did one uh in another in the Middle East uh, for a year long stint. And um, I, I decided to get out of the military and said, hey, you know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to go into business. I loved aviation. So let's let's start a private airline. And, and at the time, I was unaware that you could start a private airline. And most people say that to me. They're like, you, I didn't even know you could just do that. Um, apparently you can. And that's that's good news for me um so yeah i got out i started putting the business plan together i started uh you know really getting in diving into the intricacies of how to operate an airline how to get a part 135 charter and and all of that um and i was like what's going to be our niche so our our niche is making private charters affordable so everybody wants to fly privately but um it's it's extremely expensive and i was like it shouldn't be that way and so we started building the premise of Russell Aviation, and we built it on the premise of, a, of an affordable private charter, and um, it's it's really taken off uh, since I've got out in uh, 2019, and uh, I'm excited for the future of it. Nice. So you're what 27 now? I turned 27 on Monday, Memorial Day. So
0: really, your your birthday mm-hmm. happens to be the day after mine.
1: Really. Good. Good
0: for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm 30th. You're 31st. I think that's pretty cool. So what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do for your birthday?
1: Um, I have family coming into town. So we're we'll going to hang out with them, uh, I've got a few, I've got, I've still got to keep working. So I've got a few meetings to, to get to, um, but you know, I'm going to hang out by the pool I'm down here in South Florida. So I beach day, maybe I don't have anything planned. I kind of, my birthday to me is kind of just it is. It's just, it's a day, but you know, I got to keep working. So, absolutely.
0: So, let's get into it. Um, U.S. policies and politics, the foreign policies, especially. You've been a contractor, you've had to go to war, you've been overseas, you've had a lot of time to spend studying this particular topic, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so tell us. Is what we're doing very efficient?
1: I don't think uh, the, the way I see it. Okay. I've spent, I spent the majority of my adult life in the middle East. Um, I, like you said, I worked as a contractor. Um, I worked in the military over there. So I, I've seen both sides of the fence on this. Um, in, in the short answer, no, it's not effective in any way possible. You can't fight the the way I see it is you can't fight ideology with, with bombs you know that you're not going to change someone's mind by by blowing up their town or by you know assisted suiciding them <laughs> whatever you want to call it um it's just not how it works i mean and, and anybody can agree with that i think the the way i look at it, it's just not it's not effective the way we went into it, it's not effective i'm sure there's a there's a much deeper um cause behind the reason we're in afghanistan but as far as I, I i don't i don't negate the fact that there's a lot of people there that they're they're there because they were told to be there and they have a job to do okay i, I was in the military i understand how that goes and i i appreciate that and i'm not going to sit here and say that the the war in Afghanistan's a um a shamble but it's been going on now for for decades i mean i know people that their dad fought and now they're fighting it you know and that's That's not how it should be. It should be operated. Um, Whether you pull out completely of Afghanistan or anywhere in the Middle East, I don't know. But I mean, the general rule of thumb is they don't, they don't really want you there. The Middle Easterns don't want you there. We wouldn't want Russians on our soil. So why would, why would they want us there?
0: Yeah. You know, that it's a funny thing. Um, The whole concept to me of borders and territories and things are, it's kind of a distasteful thing to my humanity. And I'll Mm -hmm. I'll just share with you why, and then I'll let you kind of go, but I'm Jewish, right? So there's right now a lot of Israeli-Palestinian fighting and the media is sharing what the media shares, which is not the truth in any way, shape or form. And so I, I take it from, from a perspective of what's in a border. And in a border, in the nature of a border is division mm-hmm. between two sides, between two kinds of cultures, between two kinds of people. To me, what we've done in the U.S should be the prototype for the world however as far as integration of culture however the way that we do it is such um a bullyish way it's going to be our culture or nobody's right it's going to be the culture we create or nobody else's and that's what division and borders do to me in my head so you know like If I look on a satellite image of the world, there are no lines separating states, right? There are no lines separating countries. There is no natural reason for creating territories, borders, other than uh, we're not comfortable being around people who are not exactly like us. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about that.
1: I think if you if you look at the history of it, I mean, let's let's talk on the borders for a minute. You know, let's look at the history of it. Uh, prior to World War One, you had the Ottoman Empire, the Persians. Uh, you know, after World War One, they decided, hey, let's just draw a bunch of borders. Uh, if we're talking about the Middle East and Europe, and that's where you see a lot of this division. That's where you see a lot of this. And then, of course, with Israel, uh, nineteen forty-eight, um, when when Israel became a state. Um, but you're you're right and you're accurate in the sense that there's no you, you can look at a satellite image and there's no borders you know but it's uh it's an it's an under it goes to an understanding of cultural norms, um you know if you look at uh the Kurds, uh the the Kurds, you know there's they're an entire ethnic group and they have no place to be, um or you know they have really no land their their borders are mixed between Iraq, Syria, and a few other you know a few other places but that's an entire ethnic group. And, and then let's do it on like a, a, a microculture aspect of Florida, for instance, people in Northern Florida and people in Southern Florida. That's We joke around in the military. That's two different States. It is two different States. It's Northern Cuba and it's Southern Alabama. One of the two, you know um, it, it, we've gotten so accustomed to the idea of solid hard drawn borders Um, and it just expands into a global scale when, when you're talking about it like this. Um, so I don't, I don't think that we should be looking at it like that. And and what you're saying is almost in a sense of, and I hate to say the word, but like systematic racism type thing, it's almost like, you know, where we're drawing the borders is what's beneficial for this cultural group or this ethnicity or this person, And I, I'm not going to say I'm open border at all. I mean, I think there should be checks and balances. There should be a security. I don't leave my front door unlocked. However, um, I think it needs to be reformed if we're, if we're talking about people coming in and out of, of certain borders.
0: Right. I I think that for me, the issue becomes this concept of they're coming over and taking from me, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was in Greece during the Paralympics, for instance, all I heard from the Greek people was about the Albanians coming over and stealing the jobs. Reminded me a little bit about the U.S. concept of the Mexican people coming over and stealing the jobs. And then I was in another country and they were talking about a different country that was coming over and stealing the jobs. Right. Like every country has people who want to be there. (laughs) <laughs> and some people yeah. to be not there. right? And I guess where, where, where that division comes from is that we are a global planet. Most humans tend to roam. We're roaming people. We like to explore. We like to adventure. We like to see new things. And I think that part of the division in our policies are the division that we've placed with borders and stopping people in some ways and respects from being able to freely travel the world. And when they don't freely travel the world, you don't get to experience other people's cultures in a way that's like, that's the predominant culture that you're experiencing different from your own. Right. Therefore, we don't understand each other's cultures we don't know the same language of each other's cultures and so we don't tend to want to be friendly with other people and i think that that's part of our specific foreign policy and i'm I not sure people,
1: why people are afraid of the unknown that's i think that's a lot of the issue that you're hitting on is, is people are afraid of the unknown all right everybody's terrified of something they they don't understand or don't know and, and it's one thing that i I'm very fortunate that I've been able to get out of the United States. I've been able to go experience other cultures. And I'm the type of person that when I get to another culture, I immerse myself in it. And I become, I become whatever you know form you need to become because that's one, respectful. And two, you're going to get a much better view of the culture. For instance, I, I was in Haiti uh, after the earthquake. I, I did a, a mission down to Haiti. And um, I I speak, I I was learning French in high school and I was very, I was really in love with learning French. Uh, So when I went down there, I didn't speak any English. I spoke nothing but French the entire time. And I was, I think I was 17 at the time. I mean, that's been just an amazing uh, cultural change and shift in my life. Just from that one trip that I did down there and got a, you know, you learn so much more about the people when you can connect with them. And I, I, I had never, I had never been to Haiti. I knew nothing about Haiti when I got there other than they spoke French and I easily became a Haitian. <laughs> day one. I'm not saying I am, but I'm just saying like, um, it was, it was amazing and it was fun. And, and they really accepted that. And they were really respectful when I was in the middle East, uh, I was in Kuwait and we went to the camel races. And the one thing I always want to talk to the kids, whenever I go to another place, I want to talk to the kids because kids give the most real perspective on everything. And you might not speak their language, but you know, even American kids, I can't understand half the things they're saying anyway. So it's, it's just talking to kids, you know? Um, and I've got two kids, so I know how that goes down. Um, but The point being is when you are accepting and respectful that that's what I think is lacking. It's just a a matter of respect. Uh, It's a matter of just you're different from me. You agree. You don't agree with the things I agree with, or you might've grown up in a different culture, but at least we have basic human, uh, Things that make us the way we are. I mean, I have tons of friends that are different uh, different ethnicities than me that grew up completely different from from me. In in the military, and a saying that we have in the military is "there's there's no race in a foxhole." You know, when it when push comes to shove, you're a man. I'm a man. I don't care if you're gay, black, white. It doesn't matter. Uh, you got my back. We're in all this together. And I was hoping and, and not to not to hit on the the coronavirus that much, but. Um, I was I was thinking when coronavirus hit, I was like, maybe this is that one trigger that was going to be, hey, we're humanity. We're not Mexican. We're not uh, European. We're not African. We're not African American. We're just human. Um, I was hoping that it seemed <laughs> to me it seemed to go the opposite direction, but you know, yeah. sometimes you know, faith goes that way.
0: Well, you know, I think. I think it is going the direction that you're saying. I think it had to come to a certain head. You know, it's like, it's like popping the pimple. You got to squeeze that sucker out of all its shit in order to get it clean. Right. And we can't do this race relation. We can't do this, just hate policy in general without popping a few pimples, without getting the shit out of the people who have it in them. And so I happen to have a, a hopeful point of view when it comes to what's gone on, because I think that you have to destroy what is a little bit in order to make something new, just kind of a natural thing. You have a forest fire that burns down all the ru- you know, brush, cleans kind of for, for new growth, and allows for something new to pop up. And it's the same way. We we needed the fires. I wish we didn't. You know. Um, yeah. I wish the yeah. fire could be less physically painful and emotionally, you know. I wish people would learn about other people, right? So my background was I'm Jewish and Catholic, Peruvian Catholic. So very odd, right? Just Mm -hmm. as a combination, you kind of got that. Well, it's two sides of guilt, either way you look at it. (laughs) And then my parents lost their business when I was young and they started practicing Buddhism to try to learn about this meditation thing and mindfulness Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so they would take me, I'm nine years old, I'm going to practice Buddhism, I'm going to Hebrew school, I have the Catholics you know, church that We're I hear all
1: over the place. <laughs> right?
0: And then I, I meet this girl and, and she lives on a reservation. And, you know, I, so I'm, I'm going to go hang out on the reservation. I'm going to study Indian and native culture. And I guess that for me, it's such an odd thing to not be curious about other people and how they feel and how they believe and what they believe in. Because when I put together, all the pieces that I gather, it's like one jigsaw puzzle coming together versus when you just have that piece of your culture, you have an incomplete puzzle that doesn't give you the right picture of what Mm -hmm. the world is, right?
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that in the, in the sense that, you know, I, I think if people were just more understanding or, you know, I think, I think education really is the, is, is a, is a key to unlocking all of that kind of stuff is what what you're saying right now is that, you know, you've had the, you've had the fortunate, the fortunality fortunality. you've been fortunate enough to, to really, grasp a lot of cultures at a younger age and, and get that wisdom or that knowledge right off the bat. And I, I think what is lacking for Americans, um, for many people around the world, but I, I would target Americans the most is they don't understand that other people do it other ways. And they think that the way they do it is the only way to do it. And I mean, and, and you know, I'm not sitting here bad-mouthing Americans either there are a lot of amazing Americans um, but you know if you really research into it I, I use this example all the time too I, I talk to a lot of um, a lot of Christians I talk to a lot of uh, a lot of you know quote-unquote Christians that they dislike Muslims and and having spent so much time in the Middle East some of the best people I've ever met are Muslim and there's a lot of people they've probably met that are an amazing people that are probably Muslim and they didn't even know it. Um, conversations I've had at least a hundred times. I was like, have you ever read the Quran? No. You ever read the Bible? Well, pieces of it, but I've never read the Bible through and through. I was like, so you're dead fast that you're correct on this, but you've never read the book that is written all about this. And you're telling me that you can't connect multiple different monotheistic religions um, to the same thing. You know, people, if they just under, if they read the Quran, the Quran's an entire book of poems. It's an entire book of poems. Not to mention Muhammad was, blind, deaf, and mute, you know, he didn't even write the, he didn't even write the Quran, but the the point I'm getting at is it, Muslims believe Jesus was real, you know, Christians believe Abraham was real, it's all in a timeline, it's all in the same thing, so it's, it's, it's amazing to me that we can, as a Christian or as a, you know, a Jew, you can just dislike an entire other religion when you don't even understand it.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. And and in fact, I think what you're kind of pulling on is that when we believe in something like if I'm a Christian, the predominant belief is that of love. Mm -hmm. And my question is, how can you love your neighbor as if he's your brother if you also hate him? And then the other question is Can you hate? Can you turn that hate, which just is, in my opinion, again, love, hate, same coin, different sides, but Mm -hmm. one is awareness and the other is ignorance, right? You love what you're aware of, you fear what you're ignorant of. And so let me go to this. How do the policies that we've put into place? Further the agenda of divisiveness versus bringing people together in love versus the hate.
1: I don't think the policy's ever been about bringing people together. I mean, you can twist it. You know, the the United States can twist it however they want to make it seem like it's a humanitarian issue or this or that. If the U.S. was really concerned about a humanitarian issue, they would be in Haiti right now if they have been there. If they were really concerned about a humanitarian issue, they would be all over different places. Um, But they're not. They don't care. Um, Not that they don't care. I'm not going to say that because I don't know. I'm not in their heads. But um, everything boils down to money everything boils down to money. It boils down to, and as a contractor, I realized that real quick, it boils down to who's going to get this contract. Who's going to make this money? How do we keep feeding this money? You know, and it's a military industrial complex. The policies are made to fund a military industrial complex. And, and you don't, it, it, you don't even have to look at the department of defense, department of state. You don't have to look at all of those things. It's all about power. You know, it's all about how do I control these resources? How do I control um this region because i need something from it or anything like that and i mean let's think about it this way again look at the uyghurs in china it goes back to that if we genuinely cared about people on a humanitarian issue uyghur muslims are being slaughtered and sent to con they're being sent to concentration camps and it's public knowledge like but it's not getting any news well it's not getting any news
0: the question is is it public knowledge and then the other question is because it's not getting any news is what does it take for the media? Do you think for the media to begin telling the truth again? And I, and I bring this to a, to a, a specific reason because I remember Walter Matthau and I remember him saying, and that's the way it was. Is it, it wasn't Matthau <clears throat> wrong name, Walter Conkrite Walker. Yeah. Walter Walter Cronkite. Cronkite. Other guy. Anyway, Walter Cronkite. And that's the way it was. He would read the news. The policy Mm -hmm. of the government was that the news was not allowed to be for profit. It had to be a nonprofit division of that network because the policy was if you are doing this as a for profit you're going to only say the news that the for profit tells you to so i look at the policies and i go okay well what are the policies and i know you've done a lot of studying of of this specifically so what are the policies that keep us divided you don't have to go through all of them <laughs> but like what are the systems? Let let me go. What are the systems that are in place that keep us divided? And what do you think would be a mindset that would switch the people who are in leadership to a mindset of results versus the reaction to
1: what is? um to answer your question i mean i'm not going to go into the exact specific bills that would probably be divisive because that would take a very long time um however uh one one thing that i've actually researched quite a bit and i'm a firm believer in is term limits um if you can take the incentive of uh, career politicians away and you you don't have the lobbying look if you look at how much money is spent on just lobbying lobbying the government. If you had every two years, you had to spend even more money to lobby a different candidate or a different, you know, person. Um, we would probably be in a lot better place. It's it's effectively making your politicians work for you again, because politicians don't work for you. Okay. They don't work. It's, it's for the people, by the people, representative of the people. It's not real anymore. That's not a thing. Okay. It probably was never real to begin with. And hundred percent honest with you, it was probably never real to begin with. It was all about, again, it it goes back to the money aspect of it. Um, Money is spent on lobbying. Uh, There's a reason that people, there's a Senator and I can't remember the exact name, but I wrote a report on him a long time ago. Um, There's a Senator that has been in, in the Senate uh, for 46 years, has never had a bill passed. Explain to me how somebody can be in the Senate for 40 something years and never get a bill passed. He's never fostered a bill, authored a bill. He's never done and never got one passed. Okay. If you're, if that's not a waste of taxpayer funded money, I don't know what is. Okay. That's what the issue is, is we're just blowing money on things just because we can. And if we don't, for for instance, okay, here you go. In the military. In the military, the way the budget works out is if you don't use it, every squadron or unit or uh, command gets a certain set amount of money. Let's just for simplistic purposes, let's say a million dollars. If you don't use that entire million dollars, the next year, your budget gets cut. So what do you do on September 1st when the fiscal year ends? You blow your budget. Is that, I own a company. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty good at finance too. That's not good business. Um, and then, you know, the further divising, uh, dividing thing is it's in, competi- it's in direct competition on the private side of things. It's in direct competition with the private sector. If a government agency comes in, let's say a campsite, government agency comes in, they set up a campsite and they're charging $2 because they're, it's going to be subsidized by the government anyway. The private campsite down the road can't match that. They're going to lose money. So then the private campsite goes out and all the taxpayer money is going to the private camps or the public campsite. It's just it's 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 a repetitive cycle of just nonsensical spending, government that's wasteful. And then these politicians, they don't work for you. They don't care. They're going to get paid. Every single one of those politicians have been paid. Every senator, everyone's been paid this entire coronavirus. Your family and everybody might have been starving, but they're getting paid. They didn't care. They worked 86 days last year. You can look it up on uh, you can look it up on gov on a it's congress.gov you can look up exactly how many days they were in session yeah
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna have a little disagreement about term limits and with a caveat Mm -hmm. roosevelt is my caveat the fact of the matter is is that after four terms he would have been elected again because he was so good at what he was doing policy or no policy, whether you believe in it or not, like, you know, the new deal, whatever. He was so good at what he did and so liked that he was reelected again and again. I think that people who are really good at their job should not have to leave that job just because of an arbitrary term limit. However, if you're not doing your fucking job, you should not be doing your job. And here's the caveat to that is the people are too freaking busy or lazy or uninterested or uneducated or whatever the case is. I don't know what the school system has done to civics, to civil, you know, to to a class about your civil and civic responsibilities we used to have that in in school when i was a kid i don't i don't see it regularly on a schedule nowadays but we had this call of duty to our country because we were taught it and so i don't think somebody should get the job just because they're the ones who keep going and nobody else is really running after them of quality cuz nobody's learned how to be a politician. But at the same time, you know, got to do your job, people. And Mm -hmm. us as the people have to be willing to hold them accountable. And that's the thing I don't think has happened in the last at least 40 years, is the people holding the politicians accountable because I think a lot of things are being done in secret. And so it's hard to, hard to hold people accountable when the policies that are being made, like I'll give you an example here in Florida. There's a bill that was passed years ago. At the end of that beer, bill, there's a paragraph about this big. It's a long bill. And at the end of that, it, there's a little section that says it's now illegal. It's a felony to be a naturopathic doctor in Florida. Yeah had nothing to do with anything else that was in that bill. Mm -hmm. And the only reason for it was because there's a lobby of a school that wanted to be the only school that gets to teach that particular profession here. So I guess what I'm saying is there is people and then there's government right? Government is made up of people. And I hate it when people say the government, this, the government, that the government's doing out of control spending, the government's doing this because it's not the government. It's the people who are running the government. And I think that that dichotomy, that, that separation of thought, that cognitive dissonance of the government is this evil, big thing that's doing evil, big stuff and the people are good so the people should get the power back right i think that that's a false comparison because we are the government the government does not run without people it would be a non thing
1: so i agree with i agree with you in the sense that you know we we should be the government but You know, let's go back to your your point about people are either too busy or they're uneducated or whatever it is. You know, there's multiple factors that go into this. Your school system, the education system in the United States, it's not meant to make you smart. It's not meant to make you. That's why every you know Elon Musk doesn't graduate high school. That's why these people that think differently, they don't graduate college. They don't go to college. They don't. You know, they're understimulated. You know, there's there's hundreds of millions of kids that are on uh, medications that um they're meth it's meth i mean let's be real about it it's meth it's an amphetamine okay um and and they're they're taking these and they're just getting drawn down and fogging into this uh you know system of be a good worker um and that's an old european system our education system is a very old european system that's been used to train soldiers actually um, if you look at the history of the education system, grades one through 12, the way we do it here in the United States, um, it's not meant to teach people. I think there needs to be, I'm going down a rabbit hole on this one <laughs> uh, because there's so many points to hit on. No, right. But, oh, no, 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 that's fine. I do too. But I, I've got, uh, going back to the education thing, though, um, people aren't taught to critically think. People are not taught to solve problems. They're taught to follow instructions. I mean, think about everything you did in class. It was never, it was never, uh, it, and this goes back to the '80s to the '90s when I, you know, when I started school, the early 2000s. Uh, you were never given a problem and said, "You know what? I'm not going to give you the directions to figure it out. You just got to figure it out." And that's what's wrong is most kids nowadays, and even when we were kids. I wasn't stimulated in school. I was good at school because I had to be because I, I enjoy being good at things and I could. I, I'm not the person that I can just fail at things. Um, but I would go to school and I wasn't stimulated. My daughter, my daughter's the same way. She's eight. She goes to school and she can't just focus. But you ask, I, I, she can literally recite exactly how GPS works. She, she literally knows what GPS stands for, how it works, and how it triangulates the whole nine. Uh, she's extremely intelligent, but. You know, you give her some basic math problem and she's like, this is dumb. She doesn't find the purpose in it. And that's what's wrong is that you're not being taught to find your purpose. You're not being taught to find something that actually intrigues you. Whereas in in history, it used to be like that. We had great philosophers and stuff like that, that were taught to to think critically. Um, But that, that hits on the education. People are... People are bombarded with with false information from the media. You don't know what to believe. You have to dig and dig and dig and dig to find some relevant answer to your question um, or find some policy. And, And that is all by design. It's all by design. If you think for a second that all of these media outlets are not just trying to confuse you and the education system is not just trying to make people dumb, they don't want smart people. Why would the education system want smart people? They would want a few smart people. But they don't want they don't want an entire population of smart people because the the and this is a tobacco industry uh, R J Reynolds this is exactly in their documents the best consumer is a dumb consumer um, that's straight from their CEO they want people to just follow instructions that's why the education system was originally designed for the military it was designed for the Europe for a European country as a military tactic to train them to follow instructions but. I digress. Um, You know, people are too busy. They're not, they're not looking at this. And and then the right mindset of I need to know who I'm voting for or what I'm voting for. Um, I know hundreds of people and I'm not against Biden. I'm not against, you know, any type of political figure I'm, I'm for who's what's best for America. What I am for is people being educated on their vote I know tons of people that say, hey, I'm pro this, pro this, pro this, and then they vote for somebody that is not what they're, what they're saying they're pro for. And I, And I just ask them, I was like, you know, why did you vote for them? Well, I'm for this one issue. And if that's the way you want to vote, that's okay. But don't be upset when the rest of the issues are not being met to your standard. And then, you know, you're not happy about it. Um, I think going to the term limits thing though, um, I agree with you that term limits are not an answer to all. Um, it's, it's by far the answer to all. It's a mixture. It's a combination of multiple things at once. My, my number one point with the term limits is ending lobbying. How do you end lobbying? And the only logical response to that would be term limits. Now we look at term limits in the sense that you've got two terms and it's done. What if you can, you know, alter that in a sense that you've got two terms, you have a set standard at any other job. Imagine if you were an intern at the end of your internship, they're going to do a review board with you or at a job the first six months or 90 days or whatever, they're going to do a review board with you. How did you do? Okay, you did pretty well, you passed XYZ bill, you know okay, now you can run for another term or no, you're, you you didn't meet your, and that's going to incentivize those senators to be like, Hey, you know, let's get this going. Let's work together. Let's, you know, because you want to get reelected. I want to get reelected. Let's work for our constituents. Um, and I think it's forcing them to spend more time with their constituents. I mean, look at the Nancy Pelosi situation, for instance, during coronavirus, everything's closed down. She's getting her hair done um it's rules for thee and not for me and that's what and that's why and and let's hit on your government point for a second when people say I, i agree with you on that that people look at the government as an entity and they don't look at the government as individuals that work for them the government works for you not the other way around the government doesn't get to tell you what to do when to do it how to do it um so the government works for you, and as an entity, if you look at them as an entity, it looks like a huge organization, but it's just a bunch of people that you fund, that you pay their salaries, um, and they should be working for you. Um, but with that being said, also, you know, you've got to really get a connection with your government. That we need a, we need to foster an environment that should be connected to their politicians, that should be trusting their politicians and not just trying to get a vote. We need to hold politicians accountable for things they say during campaigns that they don't follow through with. I mean, how many times on the campaign trail did Biden say he's gonna give out free healthcare or he's gonna give out, he's gonna relieve college debt and then he doesn't. And then he got your vote though. That's fraud. Is that not fraud? That's the definition of fraud.
0: Technically, truth in advertising does not um, relate to politicians. Uh, The Truth in in Advertising Act does not relate to uh, politician advertisements, which is really weird, but I don't know if the Truth in Advertising Act is actually in effect, if there's anybody actually looking at that um, and regulating it, because we have a law that says truth in advertising, so you must tell absolutely the truth in all of the advertising that happens. And-
1: yeah, but telling the truth telling the truth and um, telling the truth and leaving out the truth are two different things. That's that's I mean if you look at advertising in itself from a corporate standpoint, um, you can omit the truth. You just can't say actively against the truth. And there's so many ways you can word that to to the legalities to get around that type of thing. And it's the same thing with with politicians. But what I'm saying is, is not necessarily making an illegal battle with politicians. I'm saying it's fraud because it is the definition of fraud. However, whether it's going to be prosecuted as fraud, that's a completely separate story. Um, What I'm saying is, is that, people need to be more cognitive and, and not accept that what it is is people are just accepting because that's just the way it's been it's just a constant barrage but it goes back to the education system that's what they're taught to do right That's what they're taught to do just follow the directions okay my politician just completely lied to me and he got my vote it's fine It's what i'm told to do you know that's the let's look at i'm not anti-mask let's not play this i i you know i'm not gonna go down that route but Um, You know, the mask situation, I believe in personal freedoms, if you don't want to wear a mask, you know, okay, that's fine. If you do want to wear a mask, that's fine. If you do, I am a person that believes in personal decisions with people. Now, once they affect other people, then that's a different story. But um, you need to be held accountable for the thing that's America's gotten away from is just being held accountable. And it starts with the politicians, they're not held accountable for anything.
0: Yeah, but It doesn't start with the politicians, I think, because I'll give you an example. My brother's a a school teacher and his biggest issue is not with the kids. It's with the parents because the parents don't hold their kids accountable. Mm -hmm. So if the kids aren't held accountable from that early age, they don't learn it to hold anybody else accountable, right? Mm -hmm. So- When the standards have become so low, like this country used to have the highest of standards. We wanted to be the best at everything. And then we got there and we said, "Okay, we're done. (laughs) Let's, Let's do
1: something different and redo all of our, you know, the things that got us there. So here's the question. What changed? I mean, let's, let's hit on the school topic for a minute or let's hit on the the children topic because I'm, I'm obviously, you know, I'm a father. So that that's a a route that I go down.
0: Yeah. So in um, I think it was the early eighties, the um, school, the the standardized testing became um, a little bit more important for the school's funding. So the school, the money, yeah. So the schools decided that they needed to teach you enough to get you to answer a test, but not enough to retain the information, right? Mm-hmm. So the system itself, as a whole, began to regulate themselves towards a standardized test of information that. A 100% affected the funding of that school. And so you weren't taught critical thinking or how to think for yourself because they needed to drill information into you enough that when they gave you the test at the end of that week, you still remembered it. Even though by the next Monday, I think it's somewhere around 80% loss of comprehension and and retention of that information. And so my brother's a school teacher, as I said, and, and he's been rewriting the system um, to kind of make it more results oriented but when we do that we stop critical thinking we stop common sense we stop solution oriented conversations and so now it's not how do you find that answer out it's here's the problem what's the answer that's it right we used to have to show sure think
1: do you think that that has had an effect on um, the way we communicate as as Americans? Do you think that the fact that you can't critically think, okay, if I come to you, for for instance, you just said a minute ago, hey, I disagree with you on this. I sat back. I said, okay, let's listen to your point of view. I critically thought about it. I can retain that information. I can pick and choose what I need from that information and then make a decision on my own. So the fact that the schools are teaching you to this is a get to b take test. Do you think that in the same sense that that has affected the, where we are now in America today, where you can't, you can't agree to disagree. That's, that's one of my main things is like, you can't agree to disagree. That's an issue. Yeah, you should be, I should be able to sit right across the table from somebody that is completely opposite of me. And I value that conversation more than somebody that agrees with me. However, in today's society, and especially with the generations coming up as they've been just so fostered. Um, And, and, and you say in the eighties, so let's say, you know, parents that went to school in the eighties and started that system now have kids and those kids are now going to the system. So those kids are getting it at school and now they're getting it at home. It's the first generation after the shift that you're talking about. And that's why in America we have such a political divide and there's no, gray area for discussion everything is black or white and i don't think anything is black and white i think there's a gray area for everything but that's my point on what you're saying i didn't mean to cut you off by the way
0: oh no no this is this is all about your show (laughs) no Uh,
1: no, i'm asking you questions
0: (laughs) i value your opinion i want i want the i want the conversation the conversation to me is the most valuable part of of any exploration right so My mom's a teacher. My dad's not a teacher. My brother's a teacher, but I was always taught in life, question everything. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Not in a disrespectful way. Like, why am I doing that mom? You know, like I'm not quite, it's not that it's what is the cause? What is the purpose? What is the intention? What's, what is the root of this issue? And Because I was taught that kind of thinking from an early age, everything that has come after goes through the lens. So, you know, I'll never say that I'm not racist. Right? Why? Mm -hmm. Because I know that if I critically look at my brain, right, I have innate reactions to things that are different, that are not conscious, they're subconscious, they're in the background. And until I reveal that one thought or that set of thoughts, I'm not in full knowing of who I am. So I can't rule any part of me out or say I I am this and that's what I am, right? I can only say I am a work in progress. I am me. I'm a person. And so I can't understand that whole thing about hate and race. And my it, question with
1: that, though, would be is, is you know, you say, I'm never going to say I'm not a racist, but if you have one of those thoughts or something like that, does that inherently make you a racist or does that just give you a, a, a racial bias? I think that's that, the question. I, I think racism is, I think we're mis, misjudging the word racism for just a racial bias. Um, See, I don't think it's a racial. Neither's neither's positive right. by any means.
0: And I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that, but I was having a conversation a little bit ago with, with uh, somebody who used to be the president of her Black Lives Matter area um, where she lives. And I asked her a question. I was sitting in the shower one morning meditating as the water was pouring over me. And I had this thought and the thought was, people are scared of the dark. Is that why people are scared of black people? That was just the thought that popped in my head. It was questioning, people are scared of the dark. At night is when people think all bad things happen. Noises, anything that's, that's gonna get you happens, right? In the dark, in ignorance, in, you know, we say ignorance is being in the dark in the light is illumination is information is knowledge is some, you know, so my inherent bias thought was, are we prime, the primal nature, the reptilian part of our brain, are we designed to be afraid of dark? And is that a Bible thing? Is that a good, bad thing? Is it Everything that's good is white. Everything bad is black. I mean, we've been trained with that our whole lives. If you look at uh, cartoons from when we were kids, you know, the bad guy was always in black. The good guy was always Mm -hmm. in white. Right. So I was curious as to inherent bias, genetically training bias, like how our parents taught, taught us and Mm -hmm. society in general. But I notice that as much as I'd like to think of myself as an evolved human being who I've dated outside my culture, my roommate for a while was a Palestinian woman who was like a sister to me, you know, and she and I would have amazing conversations. And so I also know that when I look at like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, as much as I can be objective about what's going on, I still You're have, still I still have a little bias. It's right. still. And we don't know enough information to not have those inherent biases act out. <clears throat> like people know that Israel's been bombing, you know, Palestine, right? Yeah. Lately. People know that Palestine kind of started it, but the result in equity is so great Right. But they don't know what's going on in the background. They don't know about the water shortage in Palestine. And, and, you know, they don't know about maybe some of the issues. They don't know about some of the issues in Israel. They don't know, for instance, that there's 1.9 million Palestinians and Muslims living in Israel pretty peacefully and happily alongside each other. Yeah. And so they don't see that. So there's the inherent bias. And I hear it a lot with this conversation of either the the Israelis are this evil force that needs to be eradicated or they're this good, right? But those kind of black and white conversations is exactly against what you just talked about, the shades of gray, the nuance. So how do we get the nuance out there so that people can get a sense of what reality is versus those inherent biases
1: yeah i mean there's a. I like i said there's a gray area in everything everything there's a theory of gravity i tell you right now if i drop this water right now it's going to hit the ground but it's still a theory you don't know okay you don't know every nobody will never know every aspect of the palestinian uh israeli conflict they're not going to they're not going to be able to see it plus it doesn't sell It doesn't sell. So even if you tried to research it as much as you possibly could, unless you have firsthand knowledge of it, you're not going to understand it. You're not going to get the whole picture of it. Um, The point being, and you just said it yourself, is you got to change your own mindset about it. You got to change. You got to think about things in a different mindset. You cannot think about things black and white. And that's the number one factor is what's wrong is we've gotten to a point, it goes back to the education system, it goes back to the way we are, we are raising up and training our, our children um, to not objectively think about things. You, you, you detailed the scientific theory a minute ago. You detailed it—the who, what, when, why, where, how is this happening? And you're not questioning it, but you're theorizing. You're you're building a hypothesis on whatever it is. That's not a question. Uh, it is a question, but it's not like a it's not a smart aleck question. It's a question on I want to understand this, and I'm going to build out a scientific theory. And that's the way you got to start looking at things when you're when you're dealing with this, and you have to object. And and it's there's so much information being slammed at people these days that you could spend every waking second running hypothesis on different things between the, the stock market or why the government is this or why this is happening. You could do it all day. You really could. And that's what you know, since the eighties now too is it's just been a barrage of information that's been thrown at us. Um, but to answer your question directly, you have to look at things as if there was a gray area because there is a gray area there's there's nobody the israelis are not right the israeli jews are not right the israeli palestinians are not right uh, or the israeli muslims are not right they're the palestinians are not right you know iran funding the palestinians is not right the us funding israel is not right okay there's no right or wrong there is just facts and you get to make the determination on that um and once you start thinking about everything in your life objectively, and stop being so factual and so dead set on one answer to a question, then you're never gonna grow. That's what's wrong is we're not growing as a people. We're not becoming more intelligent as a people because we weren't taught to critically think first off. And it takes it. It took me. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I didn't think critically uh, for a very long time. And the older I've gotten now, the more I the more I look at things very. Um, critically and as if there's a gray area, but there are still a very large multitude of people who have never left. It goes back to the, you've never left the United States. So you've never seen anything different. So you just think the way you do it is the way it is. Um, and then uh, you got to start thinking about things critically. That's, that's the key to it. Is just think about it like a scientific theory. Yeah.
0: I love when people say this is the most beautiful country in the world who have never been outside of the country because there's
1: a lot of amazing things about the United States. I've been to some very bad places. I've been to some very good places. Um, there's good and bad about every place.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I'm just saying like, we have these beautiful majestic mountains, but have you ever seen the rainbow mountains in Peru or Yeah, I- Iquiza falls, you know, like everywhere, this planet is such a beautiful place. And I just like, there's a part of me that just wants to say Feel free to roam around the planet. Like when you're on a plane, feel free to roam around the plane, you know, take off your seatbelts, roam around, feel free to roam around this planet and learn about people, learn about yourself, learn about cultures, because that's the juice of life. That's the color that, that life brings. And, you know, we're talking about critical thinking and common sense. But the other part I want to bring up with that is the butterfly effect, and how do people begin to kind of play chess with their life and look at if I do this move, what's gonna happen the 20 moves down the line? You know, If I poison the water for instance, like today with one bottle and then 20 more people come tomorrow and then a hundred more people, like what's the butterfly effect? What's the ripple effect of our actions? And how does that affect long-term? And that's another part that with philosophy and philosophers, that has kind of left the building in in a way. Everything is, what's the immediate effect? The fast food effect is what I call it.
1: Well, we as a society, especially in America, we've become so used to instant gratification. You can post a picture up, you get a thousand likes, you get... There is a lot of psychology... Um, and I'm not a psychology major by, but I've, I've studied it uh, quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of psychology on the, um, social media's impact on, on young children and it's positive and negative. Everybody knows there's positive and negative motivation. Um, and, and if you look at suicide rates, uh, for young girls, they're through the roof. Why? Because they're posting pictures and they're not getting likes and it's, it's, it's deteriorating them from the inside out. Um, there's so much instant gratification that just happens in the United States. And once you start getting that instant gratification, it's very hard to slow things down. Imagine if we all had to go back to dial up. Imagine if, imagine that, imagine if we all had to go back to dial up, Yeah, it would ruin, it would ruin us. But uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago or whatever, none of us had anything but dial up. And then before that, we didn't even have the internet. Um, so it's hard to it's hard to reverse. Um, it's hard to reverse change. Um, it's hard to reverse innovation. Uh, sometimes, though, you need to reverse it. You need to reverse the instant gratification. It might have seemed good at the time, but it's not it's not going to end very well. And it, it starts with that long term thinking and it, it, it needs to be fostered by a form of wisdom in a sense uh, it needs to be somebody or a group of people or it overall as a society, we need to foster a culture of wisdom. It's we need to foster that it's cool or that it's popular or that there's a social norm or perception to be intelligent is a good thing. What we've done as a society along with the social media is foster the Kim Kardashians and foster uh, a society that, favors the uh, catch me outside girl. I don't know her name, but you know, that type that's what, that's what people are aspiring to be. And that's not, that's not good. Um, And it doesn't create a very forward thinking um, position for our culture and our society. And as far as that goes, I mean, look at, look at debt. This is another, this is going to go down another Avenue of, of how bad, we've become as a culture for instant gratification, the credit card comes out, the debt, the the United States personal debt increases by like, I think it's 72% more every year, year over year, 72% more. And granted take into account, you know, uh, population increases, but it doesn't account for, it would still be a 52, 51% increase even with, population, but um, people want everything now. They want it now. And that's good. I mean, it's good for a company because, you know, you capitalize on the consumer, but oh. it's not good for your mindset. It's not good for your mentality.
0: The the wisdom is the key to that because, you know, as you're saying, like TikTok, for instance, you could be a TikTok millionaire like that, right? But whether you know what to do with that money that you just made off that minute video of you flashing your your moves to you know a song that is popular at the time and you get a million views and uh made money
1: oh my goodness now what now what people don't people don't uh a lot of I'm not gonna say all people because that's a generalizing term, but there is a vast majority and a very overwhelming um push in the United States and all over the world for that matter um, that doesn't think long-term. They don't, they see money. You know, that's why most NFL players or most people that win the lottery, they go broke instantly. Why, you know, you can give a lot of people money. I can, you know, if, if I had a million dollars sitting in the bank that I just gave to somebody that doesn't make them easily going to go and be successful because they're going to blow it. If they don't have the right mindset, if they haven't educated themselves and the wisdom to what to do with it, And there's certain people, if I gave a million dollars to, he would come back or she would come back in a a year and I would have $10 million, you know, we need to create a society that values education. And that starts back again with the education system. It, It all boils back down to you need to, you want to educate people, but we don't want to educate people, right? We want people to be dumb. And that keeps an elite power. And, you know, that keeps a very select few that are educated and that do understand this in power.
0: And this go, that goes back to the church not wanting people to read because you know you could only go through go to God through the the priest. Um, that was back in the, the dark ages, but yep. that was what it, that was what it was is keep keep people ignorant so that they don't know how to read. Yeah, They're, even that was, that
1: even even during was, Martin Luther, you know, when the Protestant movement happened, they didn't want people to read. They wrote the Bible. They wouldn't translate the Bible from Hebrew because they didn't want them to read it in English.
0: Exactly. And then going out, going, coming back to, you know, U S right. The beginning women couldn't learn. They weren't allowed to go to college. They weren't allowed to, you know, go to schools and things like that. Obviously um, you know, any race other than the white people, the British people now had, had that, but we're going to finish this up with the end of this conversation. And that is, the business side of life, because you're 27 almost year old who owns an airline company that now has, I believe 12 in its fleet. You're driven your, your goals. I mean, you know, running for Florida um, to be a Florida representative. I mean, you have these massive goals. And so what I was hoping that you'd be able to break down a little bit into small bite-sized chunks is the mindset that you use to come out of a war and go into a business and become an entrepreneur. And then the, the little mindset steps that you think people could use if they're looking and wanting to create a new tomorrow for themselves and activate their vision for a better world.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, coming out of the, I, I wasn't always the person uh, I was a normal. I was a normal person. Like I was a normal kid straight out of high school, um, joined the military. The military was an amazing thing for me. It, it taught me, it got me to see a lot of places. It got me to see a lot of very bad places, a lot of places I don't really want to go back to. Um, but I th- what really was a changing factor for me was being able to say there's negative motivation and positive motivation, but they're both moving forward. Um, So taking anything that could happen to you negatively and just using it as a positive, anything that could happen to you positive, taking it also as a positive And, and using that. So, you know, when I was getting out of the military, I, I just took, It's a little steps. You said it yourself. It's just the little steps, get a plan and take one step at a time. And before you know it, you're, you're going and going and going and going and going. And it just doesn't stop. And then while you're on that journey, you're simultaneously fixing yourself or you're simultaneously working on yourself. You might be in an amazing spot. You might be in the best mindset of your life, but you can always get better and always having the humility and always having the, um, just the, the drive and desire to want to be better and realizing, hey, I'm messing up here. I need to fix this. I need to fix that. Having a, a mentor or having some type of person to check you is always an amazing thing to have. Um, and just really being able to look in the mirror and say, you know what, that's not what I want my life to be. I can't tell you how many times I sat and I was stuck in Kuwait Um, and I was like, I don't, this isn't what I want my life to be. You know, you got to picture yourself being better than you are every single day. And then you've got to outwork yourself. Um, so when I, when I sat there and looked at myself, that's not where I want to be. I, it just started fostering this every day. I will, that's not where I want to be. Let's get to the next spot. Let's get to the next spot.
0: Um, as far as starting the airline. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you for a second. So there's two points that I want to make. Number one, he said, make a plan. That was the first thing he said. So for the audience, making a plan is the one thing that most do not do. They set a goal, but not a plan to go with the goal, right? They set a a New Year's resolution, but not an action step to go with it. So what Chase just said is, number one, make a plan the other thing that he said was once you make that plan start acting on it and your goal is to challenge yourself to be better than you were yesterday not to be better than anybody else this is my caveat not to be better than anybody else not to you have no competition other than yourself and mm-hmm. with your previous version of you that day so i just wanted to to kind of illustrate your two points Back to the business.
1: Right. Yeah, no, good thing you did because I can ramble. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, starting the business. Um, and, and by the way, we have we're, we're licensing two jets. We're we're doing a capital raise right now for the the, the rest of the jets that we're going to be adding to our fleet. But uh, I just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Um. So. You know, I thought starting an airline is a huge, that's a huge goal. And you're in your, what you were just saying a minute ago is you got to have a plan to that goal and you got to start building the plan. And that starts with the one step at a time. Just build the plan, build the plan. Even if you don't know the plan, there was a lot of things I didn't know. There's a lot of things right now. I don't know. Um, but that's goes back to the building yourself and building a, uh, an environment around you building an environment within you that says, Hey, I don't know this but I have, I have the confidence in myself. I have the discipline. I have the drive. I have the determination to just really teach myself as much as possible. I have no formal, I I do now because I've been doing it. But when I started this, I have, I had no formal business training. Nobody in my family had ever been in business. Nobody in my family had ever went to college. Nobody in my family even graduated high school. So it's, it's um, you, you can, come from anything you want, as long as you have the determination, you have the world of information at your fingertips. People can discover gravity, can sail around the world, can do all of the things that they did prior to the internet. And all of that information plus millions more amounts of information is in your hands. So while you're scrolling TikTok or scrolling Facebook or whatever you're doing, if you want something bad enough and you spent that hour, two, three, four, even eight hours scrolling on um, Facebook and put it towards learning something, you're going to become pretty good at it very quickly. And you're going to learn very quickly. And that's what I tell people all the time. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you taught yourself all this. It's don't. It's not an, oh my God, I'm not a genius. I'm not, you know, I'm not anybody special. I just, took the time and, and had the determination to teach myself something. Awesome. And that's what it boils down to.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to add one to the determination. So we've got plan action steps. We've got determination. I'm going to add one to you for you. And that's resilience. And the resilience is probably one of the most important pieces to being an entrepreneur and to making a difference in the world in general because you're going to get kicked, you're going to make have missteps, you're going to have things that get in the way. And your ability to be resilient and bounce back is always the most important thing. One of my sayings is, if you're not dead, it ain't over. So you're not done. I tell people, you can't fall off a wagon. You're not on a wagon. You're in life. You're in a body. You're, you're in until you're dead, you're still on. And so at any moment, at any second, at any millisecond, you can make a decision and a choice to change the course of your life forever. That's right. And that is really awesome. That no, you
1: know, I agree with that a hundred percent. The resilience side of things. Um and that kind of goes back to my, there's positive motivation, negative motivation, you know, something bad happens to you. Just look at it like, that. okay, cool. Something bad happened to me. That's going to motivate me to do better or take a different route or take a different path, you know, whatever it is. And if something positive happens to you, celebrate it for a minute, move on to the next thing, you know, and the more you start to celebrate the negatives, the more you're going to start to realize that they're not really negatives. That's what's crazy about it is the more you stop looking at things negatively and the more you start building a positive mindset and manifesting what you want in your life. And you start saying, you know what, that didn't go the way I wanted, but I learned something. You know, there's a mill for instance, my, my company, we did a, a, the sales strategy, my, my first, you know, draft of my sales strategy. Um, It was terrible, absolutely terrible. And I spent so much time on it and I worked and I stressed and I, and at the end of it, I was like, this isn't going to work. I went to my mentor. He's like, this is terrible. And, and good for him. You know, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm very fortunate to have people that do that for me. Um, but it, it was, it was terrible. And I was so upset. I was like, I, I can't believe I spent so much time on this, but and it's terrible. But it led me to an even better strategy. And it led me to rethink and relook at things and hypothesize and question and, and have a general gray area. And I wasn't so certain on one thing. Um, that I was blinded by, by everything else. And that's, you know, you got to look at it as a positive and a, even if it's a negative, it's still a positive because you learn something.
0: Yeah. So here's where I, I I'm going to just kind of add, I guess again is with the gray area, we've been talking a lot about gray area and there being no black and white. And here would be my caveat for, for, for people in general, the audience to, to think about is nuance lies in the gray area, but your decision lies in black or white. The gray area is the fence that you gather your information on, but it's not the fence that you wanna hang your hat on. You you get the information and then you make a decision one way or another. Mm-hmm. And then you just go, okay, did that work? Did it not work? Why, why did it work? Why did it not work? So you can, you can have the mind- and your decision-
1: that- your decision should be fluid. I I think too, to, to add to that, I think your decision should be fluid. You know, it's like writing a paper, a research paper, you know, you write out this rough draft and you just throw all your, all your ideas on a piece of paper. Right. And then once you write the final report, you know, a year from now that final report might need to be revised, which is why in most news articles, there's amendments, there's all kinds of things, you know, it's the same thing. You've written all your ideas down. That's your gray area. Take that information, make a decision. And then, you know, you need to be subject to altering that decision too. Don't be so dead set. Now, I
0: Always reassess, you know, when, as a, as an, a person who trains Olympic athletes, right? Wait, I come up with a plan. We've got six months for you to get to where you need to be in competition, how we're going to do that. We're going to create the plan. It's going to be a six month plan, but every marker, we retest we reassess are we meet, are we meeting our goal are we meeting our goal are we are we not oh what what are we what are we needing to do to get back to where we are meeting our goal cuz the competition is there you don't have a choice on the time right you just got to do what you got to do to get there and that's the same thing with business and so if anybody in the audience here wants to go take a private flight with you um, how how can they get a hold of you
1: So yeah, on the business side of things, you can go over to russell uh, Russell RussellAirCharter.com. You can find us on Facebook at Russell Aviation and on Instagram at uh, Russell Aviation as well. Um, And then I'm on LinkedIn, Chase Russell. Uh, Feel free to connect with me. I love chatting with people and getting to know other people and their stories.
0: Awesome. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave the audience with?
1: Um, You know, just... If you're looking to start something and you think, wow, that's way too big, or that's way too big of a goal, or you're looking at somebody else, your neighbor, your friend, your buddy, your wife, ex-wife, whatever it is, and they're doing better than you in life. Don't think like that. Your life is your life and you get to live it the way you live it. Nobody's on the same timetable. Okay. Just because I'm 26 and I'm starting this or someone's 46 and they're starting something else, it doesn't make anybody any different. It's just a matter of taking the time, the mindset and growing yourself. And I I think people that take the time to grow themselves and, and, and grow, uh, and foster a mindset of self-motivation, uh, those are normally the people that, that have the positive things come at them when they're not even doing anything. Um, that's one thing I've learned since starting this business is, uh, you know, if you put out a positive energy, you're going to get a lot more positive energy tenfold back.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was uh, it was a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I know that the conversation does not always take the prescribed route, but uh <laughs> But uh, <laughs> as, long as, as long as the audience gets uh, you know, tips and tricks and ways to move forward, I'm, I'm a happy camper. So I really appreciate the deep conversations versus uh, surface ones. So thank you so much for helping me to create a new tomorrow and activate people's visions for a better world so that we can all live the life of our dreams. Thank you so
1: much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, go to the website, createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the lead and joining our private paid mastermind community until then see you on the next episode